Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, welcome back to Minutes from Latvia, the podcast from Latvia Sabiodiski Media, Latvian Public Media. Uh, my name's Mike Collier, and I have another guest, a very special guest in the pod with me this week. I met her outside. It's quite a cold day in Riga today, so we've uh, brought some hot coffee with us. So if you do hear us slurping during the course of the podcast, uh, please forgive us. But hopefully it will add some atmosphere and, and give you the impression that we are in chilly but beautiful Latvia with the, the Christmas market. Market right outside the doors of Latvian Radio here. Now, my guest today is Lolita Thompson. I'm delighted to welcome you to the pod. Oh, thank you for uh, having me here. But again, the problem which I encounter every week with these podcasts is I have to talk to people who are far more intelligent, far better qualified, far busier, and far more impressive than myself. Uh, you seem to speak about half a dozen languages. You do about three different jobs. You're in- involved <laughs> in all sorts of initiatives. So rather than me blundering my way through this list. Could you just give us a little bit of uh, your background and, uh, you know, what you do? Um, so, officially, of course, I'm director of Janice Lipka Memorial, and that would be enough, basically, for my life, as it is. And just just briefly, the Janice Lipka uh, Memorial The Janice Lipka Memorial is dedicated to Latvian family that um, saved Jews and uh, saved prisoners of war and all kinds of people during the war, Second World War. Uh, Lipka family, they just dug a bunker in the, their yard and they and Janice and his friends and mates, they worked, basically cheated their way in all possible ways. They found... Um, how to get Jews out of Riga ghetto from camps, uh, people who were hidden and didn't have a place where to run. So uh, he hid them in a bunker, in a few bunkers actually in Riga and then outside in the countryside. And that's basically wasn't very popular, of course, uh, decision during the Nazi times. You could be killed at any moment for that. Okay, well, we'll get back to Janice Lipke in a, in a little while, but maybe then if I could ask you to pad out some of your other things you've been doing recently. None of them are have been very popular in Latvia. So it's um, the one thing I organized uh, was um, with support and friends and and, uh, and everyone else who was ready to kind of spend some time and effort was about um, all kinds of um, changes that were suggested in, um, about the fertility law in Latvia. And one of them was that um, exiles uh, could be donated only by women who are already mothers. And that was, uh, I found it very also offensive, also patronizing mm-hmm. that only women that have given birth uh, are kind of ready and make decisions, any kind of decisions to whom and how they can donate exiles. So we had two um, demonstrations next to the parliament building here in Latvia and support was great and uh, hate waves were great too. So, you know, so, uh, but it was men and women came out and, and that was uh, because people were just tired to complain around cold glass of wine and they wanted to participate and mm. to do something meaningful. So it um, was like, I can't take all the credit. The people did come out and, and you know, they responded. Uh, but this was something that you kind of got together on social media? Oh, on social media. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It started as a social media and I said, that's it. It's enough. And um, we're going to the municipality and we'll apply for the, you know, for a permit to, to organize that. And then I had a blind date with another uh, person 
that I've never seen in my life because I said, it's kind of creepy to go alone. So can anyone come with me? So I had a blind date next to the municipality. And then basically we applied and and it looked like Lolita Thompson's organizing it. Ilse is um, kind of uh, helping her. And then we are also organizers and we are also the police in a way. Like Mm -hmm. we are going to be responsible for something like two of us. And we were so pessimistic. We wrote that probably 20, 30 people will come. And of course, many more came. And the second time, it was uh, the same. And um, we did also a flash mob. I was just wondering, do you find it difficult? You know, these are very different areas, running the Lipka Museum and uh, women's rights. I mean, there's a danger that messages get mixed up or that people sort of say oh, this woman, she's kind of running all these different things, you know, she's... Of she's, course, supported by mafia. Putin and Soros. And well, either supported by Putin or Soros or someone or else, both you know, of them. or both simultaneously or... On, uh, <laughs> on Freemasons and, and whatnot, of course. But the part of it, of course, I work in a museum and we have all programs and, and plans and everything, but I do have, I do want to do something important and important for me and Mm. for the society I live now and I've chosen to live here I could be living anywhere else you know to kind of to make an effort to participate to risk my I don't know my good name let's say you know to be be involved in uh, feminist issues and and, uh, all kinds of um, also women's rights yeah people do sometimes have a bit of a problem of sort of separating what are your personal interests with what are your professional interests and uh, you know it's fair to ask that question but if they are completely different things. I don't think they are completely different because basically it's about human rights and about human rights, about human dignity. Yeah, but I mean, you're not using you're not using your job at Libka at all. No. As an element in in your campaigning on on women's bodies. I mean, it's so so there is kind of a a difference there. Sure. But I think this um, response of all kind of uh, hatred and hate mail and whatever, Mm. it's like it it comes together. Like you are the bloody feminist, but those so Jews, you love Jews and who cares about them? Like it, 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 sometimes it comes together and then you're like, listen, what basically it is important that you try to create more tolerant society and you try to understand that all these people have a place and voice in a Latvian society I choose to live in. But do you get the feeling that, I mean, if you, it, it, it's terrible that you receive these comments, uh, whether it's directed against you as a, a woman or as a Jew, I mean, but... I'm not is, is this, well, sorry, if, if they're anti-Semitic yeah. comments. Yeah. Uh, and I'm assuming that some Jews do get anti-Semitic yeah, uh, sure. comments. Is this a large number of people or is it just a very small number of people, you think, who are generating a large number of comments along these lines? It's hard to know. I really hope that it's not a large number of people, although I've been in all kinds of uh, groups and parties where people just... Uh, randomly throw out all kind of uh, comments, um, you know, about uh, blacks, about Jews, about women, about mm. um, aggressive, radical feminists that we actually don't even have in Latvia. And I wish we had radical feminists here because then all of us who are just like mild, liberal, cafe latte feminists, we would be <laughs> like, wow, these are actually normal ones. Those are the radicals who they are like running. They could take the heat off you. <laughs> yes, yes. With bare breasts and, and, and screaming out Patrick then we would be like, oh, these are kind of like pretty mainstream. Okay, that well, we I'm actually rein are. in the comment I was going to make there. But uh, moving to something a little more positive then. <laughs> something that happened last week on November the 30th was a memorial, which hadn't really happened before in Latvia, at the Freedom Monument, which I'm sure everyone knows is this iconic 
well, really sort of the heart of Latvia. I mean, it's a very, very important location. And again, via social media, you'd organized people to go there and light a candle in memory of, well, a massacre which took place 75 years ago, where 25 or 26,000 estimated Latvian Jews were basically murdered in the forest, just on the outskirts of Riga. Now, you called this on social media, and what happened and um, no, it, it started not in social media because now by organizing all kinds of things through social media, I realized that we have to think it through. And I came back from Kiev and I saw what happened there for uh, Babi Yar, 75 mm-hmm. years. And you saw the whole like um, Ukrainian society kind of pulling together and realizing that it's not only there's 70,000, there's enormous number of Jews who are killed, but also there were mental patients, uh, Ukrainian nationalists who were, imagined they were actually pretty happy maybe beforehand that no, Kiev is, you know, free of Jews. You know, and they were killed there and the priests were killed there. So it's like uh, all kinds of groups in society, uh, Roma people, you know, mm. were, were, were killed there. And they had all the separate monuments inside the Babi Yard, that's enormous territory, five kilometers. They had these separate monuments, and this was the first year when they connected them by path. And it's in a way symbolic, but also physically. You can move from monument to monument. And I came back to the the hotel room, and I saw that everything, national TV, private TV channels, all had memorial candles, menorah. It was either written Babi or 75 years. And I saw this whole society realize that it's a tragedy, not only of Jews, but the whole Ukraine as a state, as a citizen. So it was very touching and very important. And I came back and we knew already that in Rumble 75 that we are going, organizing things. It was like in planning. Is it from Lipka Memorial and Mm. Occupation Museum and, and Jews in Latvia Museum? And just and for those who don't know, I mean, Rumbola was basically the liquidation of the uh, Riga ghetto. The, Riga, everyone Jews, there was marched Latvian, out. Yeah, Jews from Latvia, yeah. Marched out and killed by, well, Nazi occupying forces with help from uh, local Locals. auxiliaries as well. And so obviously this is a very sensitive subject and has been for a long time. Um, but it seems that Latvia kind of faced up to it last week. But it took some time to realize that I can be organizing it alone. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to organize it from memorial. I wanted to kind of raise awareness in a society of Latvia among Russians and, and Latvians who live here to realize that those people were our neighbors, fellow citizens, fellow Latvians. Latvia was their only home and it turned out to be the grave, you know, the last grave. And uh, just to realize that, that it's not the Jewish thing. Jews are doing it all all these years. There was commemoration ceremonies in, a, in the forest. But to realize that it was a part of also horrifying loss and it was the biggest massacre ever in Latvian history. Mm. So why we never talk about that from this perspective? So I called up uh, my friend and historian uh, who deals with these and writes about these subjects a lot, Kaspar Zelis, and he luckily said, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's try, let's try at least. And then we got media people to help us because, of course, like, I'll start things on Facebook, but then we need to talk uh, to radio and TV and people to get um, awareness. Not everyone lives on Facebook like me, you know. Well, I think as well it helped. There was a very powerful piece was written by Una Bergmann, yeah. which appeared uh, in Latvian and in, in English on LSM, and which just sort of kind of outlined what Rumbola was all about, why it was important, and that 
you know, it didn't take a lot of effort to kind of face up to it. Yeah. Uh, that was a really, really good piece of writing. And it, it kind of showed to me what a difference just having a, a nice, concise, clear, uh, you know, it wasn't an emotional piece, but it did stimulate emotions, definitely. But Paul Zeltzeps in 2003 uh, had written not as a historian, but pretty much the same thing. Right. And nothing happened. Meaning he wrote it, and I hope people read it and learn about Rumble. But it's not that people haven't been writing about it before, but we had to get people involved that they can participate. And that's why it was basically started in a way like a grassroots, because we wanted people to, to put their signature under it, the people who support it. It was very important to the Jewish community after we went and presented it to them, this idea, because I didn't want this to come out like, oh, we are in Rumble and Latvians are at the Freedom Monument, you know, that would be weird and splitting society. Yeah. And so I went to the um, talk to people who survived Riga ghetto and camps and everyone and I presented this idea and some of them said sounds okay but I think Latvians should go there and I said but of course I just don't want like it's open for everyone and then the Jewish community came and Russians and Latvians and tourists and they were explaining each other what it's all about and uh, but basically I have to mention Rita Rudushu who is a media specialist and uh, you know she works for Baltic uh, Center for Media Excellency and uh, she runs it and she got people we can talk to explain to the journalists to the content managers to tell why it's important and what we can do and how we can talk about it and to organize not only the candles but the discussion in Kanyapa Center in no kind of center where a lot of young people come and hang out about bystanders mm. and the, because one thing is to learn the horrifying things happen what another horrifying thing happened in Second World War. Okay, there happened a lot. Mm. But what do you do with it? Oh, to talk about the bystanders, why people just watch it, why people took their coats afterwards, and why, you know, their blankets and everything. So do you think, if, I mean, Paul Zrautseps is an excellent uh, journalist and very good writer, and if he'd written this piece 13 years ago, it, the obvious question is, what's changed? And I suppose then it's the sort of interconnectedness that's possible now and the way that you can circulate this information quite quickly and widely you know, with a little bit of effort. Yes. And you get people involved and people pass on the information that's important for them. So it turns out the Surumbula project uh, was important enough for people to do hundreds of shares and get involved and uh, ask how they can help mm. and where to come and where to show up and, and how to do it. But that's the real thing, though, isn't it? I mean, it's all very well sharing it on Facebook or on Twitter, or whatever. But can you be bothered to actually get a candle, walk out the house, go to the Freedom Monument. In November, yeah. in Riga. So what happened? Did people show up or was it all just uh, all mouth and no trousers? No, no, no. They they, they did show up and, and uh, Kaspar Zelis and Ilya Lansky from the, also from the Jewish Museum, he was, um, they spent their first two or three hours there so they saw like amount of people so when when Israeli media said oh listen the, uh, people show up more for the SS Legion walk than they showed up for candle lighting I said that's so not true luckily I was twice there to see what's happening at the you know when the SS Legionnaires have their ceremonial kind of commemoration it's literally you see that there's like three people standing or like dozens and gazillion journalists around them, yeah. you know. So it gives the sense that, oh, my God, there's so many people. And it's simply not true. People showed up from six till 11. We were cleaning up and picking up candles and people still 
came and put the candles. So it's hard to estimate how many people came. People say, oh, there's 300. 300 were around six o'clock. People mm. kept coming and put candles and lighted them. So I do think that many people did um, not only learn what happened, but they, they made an effort, yeah. yeah. And I do think it's kind of very reductive as well to make these comparisons by sort of saying, well, more people showed up here than showed up there. I mean, I noticed one of the comments that you got immediately was, uh, well, I hope you're going to remember the deportations as well. It's like as if one necessarily excludes the other. I mean, it, it seems that you'd just be chasing your tail if you're, you're trying to place all these terrible things in some sort of rank of, of importance. I mean, but also that the people say, oh, I hope that Israel will remember deportations. And you want to say, listen, in 1941, in June, 12% of the people who were sent to, to Siberia, Gulag, they were Jews. And if you count how many Jews lived in Latvia, that's very, very high percent. Uh, there are Russians who are also sent to Siberia, you know, but it's always this tendency to talk about it only as a Latvian tradition mm. and a Latvian um, kind of trauma. Uh, and it's very interesting when people say, and listen to the... 1949, you know how many Jews were sent out there? Of course, zero. Yeah, because, because there's killed. simple reason. <laughs> yes, you know, so it's, it's, it's easy to manipulate statistics, basically. And I think we should also um, give, uh, well, certainly from, from my side, I don't know what you thought, but I thought the speech given at Rumbola by President Vayonis was really excellent. One of the best speeches that, uh, well, certainly that he's given, I think just because it was very simple, it was very clear, and it was seemed quite uh, sincere, um, where he was basically pointed out that in this uh, secluded spot in the forests, during a matter of two days, these thousands and thousands of people had just been killed. And, you know, you don't really need to say much more than that, that it was this beautiful place and had kind of been defiled by this this incredible barbarity. Because I'm more radical, I would of course mention that there's a lot of naked abused women who tried to run away from mm -hmm. these pits and tried to hide in the locals' houses and they were given to the police, you know? Yeah, well the actual mechanics of it as well is like truly yes. appalling. We won't yes. go into it on the podcast, but No, but also that uh, people tried to escape and there was underground movement who were trying to fight and it's always that they went to the sheep slaughter. No, they tried to run and hide and organize the uprising and all kinds of things, you know. But to demand from abused and really, you know, tired and scared women and children that they are what they're gonna you know come out from pits and, and do something mm. it's this demand that we demand from these people from victims you know how they should have reacted that was like shocking for me you know that's it's you you really kind of uh, you find whatever reason you can not to kind of think about it and f kind of feel a bit responsible that these people were forgotten pretty much well, I think it's time for us to drink our coffee and have a brief <laughs> break. A yeah, and we'll be back on a more upbeat note in a minute with uh, Lolita t telling us about the work uh, that she does at the museum. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast with me, Mike Collier, and my guest today, Lolita Tomson. Uh, we have been through a little bit of Latvia's history in part one, and in part two, we're still on a historical theme, but we're going to be looking a little bit to the future as well. I was wondering, Lolita, could you tell us a bit more about the uh, Janis Lipka 
Memorial Museum, uh, which you kind of work at and run. Is it okay to say that? Yeah. What you do there, the sort of events you have, because it seems a lot more active than simply museum exhibits. I mean, it, it's it's quite an innovative museum in many ways. It is. It kind of works uh, when you visit for your sense of smell and, and hearing and lightning, light and everything. Sure, it's kind of the place to slow down and uh, because it's, it's actually, a memorial. Yeah, it's actually located at... It's, it's located on an island yeah. where fishermen, usually uh, most of the people who live there are fishermen, simple people, and Janice Lipka lived there. So it's kind of... Uh, location-specific museum. It's not built somewhere else. And it's built in their yard, where still some members and family live. And um, so, of course, the idea was to commemorate people who were rescuers, who saved Jews, and this family and, you know, everyone else who helped. But then, what you do with that story? You know, there's a Latvian family that did it, and they got everyone involved, and they and people survived and they moved on with their lives you know around 50 people were saved but so what what do you do next how to make sure that the society kind of opens up and is more I know it's horrible stereotypical world of tolerance but how you open up your kind of vision and your cultural space to people who maybe believe in different ways speak other languages and they somehow anyway live in Latvia so we organize all kind of lectures um, lectures about um, also about Islamophobia and how the coverage of refugees in media but not only that about Ukraine and about the uh, different books that are connected to historical events and yeah i went to a great one about the good soldier shrake one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite books and that was a really interesting (laughs) sort of lecture and amazing questions with beer at the end they were still fighting till 11 at night (laughs) the event was over the people kept drinking beer and and, and fighting about shrake ideas (laughs) but the the first one was by mars berzinch that's pretty much the first very popular novel written now in modern day Latvia that mentions Rumble and mentions Holocaust and complicates things and it's about the Latvian man who's circumcised and he ends up going to Rumble and there's no way back, you know. So um, Mars Berzinch was just amazing. Luckily, he came on, came to a museum so early that we could warm up like we talked about beforehand. So he was really open and really um, deep how, how, how he worked in a novel. And um, he has great sense mm. of humor, too, because he's also well known for all kinds of his kind of ironic and funny novels, too. So that was uh, great. But we have all kinds of concerts and, and, um, and plays and, and all kinds of ways. It's about also architecture and history of the yeah, island. The actual building itself is quite interesting, isn't it? We have a lot of architects, but we recognize them because normal people, they come in and they want to listen to the story and they want a guide and they want to see the place. And when a group of architects or they come in, they start touching things. The first things, like they open and start touching everything, the floor, the, um, you know, and they're asking all kinds of uh, questions. But they, for them, it's also important not only the form and the shape of the memorial and why it got all the architectural prizes, but how it reflects the story. So they have to listen to the story in a way just to understand why the build, building looks the way mm. it looks, you know, like kind of Noah's Ark or like a turned, turned upside down boat or, you know, why why the materials that are used are just cement and wood, you know, why, like what, uh, what is the story behind that? 
One thing I wanted to ask, I mean, you're probably uh, as good a person to ask as any, is uh, returning to uh, Janis Lipka, what was his motivation for doing this? You know, this extraordinary act of bravery for which, you know, he, he and his family could uh, have been killed. Because I think the, the really interesting thing about him is that he was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't like an elite guy. He wasn't an intellectual. No, he was he a wasn't... smuggler. He was a contraband. He was in contraband when he worked in Riga Port. Where so why did that's he why it? we're organizing now the exhibition that opens on on this Thursday about contraband in Riga. You know exactly what it meant to be in a contraband. What what also features, what characteristics you have to have to yeah. to work the system, pretty much. Uh, so there are many answers. It's clear that his wife said we never kind of separate people by religion or by faith. Uh, she had Jewish friends. He had Jewish friends also before the war. So it could be that. You know, uh, but I think if we would use all kinds of big words like, oh, he was humanitarian, you, he saved human lives. He was upset that he saved too little, like that he could have saved more. Mm. He was after the war. He remembered all his failed missions that didn't work out, you know. So I think his motivation, of course, was to first... First, he saved friends in the beginning, and then it got bigger and, you know, mm. more complicated, and he found other houses where to hide them and other people who who can help. So, I think it's hard to say it could be that he was just um, either a good person, or he couldn't look at the what's happening around, and, and kind of, and then it turns out he was in the right side of the history, because... You know, he, he was the one that kind of valued human life that everyone else, uh, you know, people were in Riga taking money for like to hide the Jews or their children and then giving them up to the police. So it also happened, you know. So it was important that he had Jewish friends that said, this man, you can trust him. Mm. He If he promises, he will do that. You know, it's also because it wasn't, it was pretty easy to run away from Riga Ghetto or from the camps. It was harder, of course, concentration camps. But Riga Ghetto, while you are taken to work and back and one person is guarding you, it was easy. But where you will go, you know, you needed someone who can, you know, be to, to, to feed you, to hide you, to risk, you know, their lives for you. And do you think this is, I mean, the last few years, it seems to me that, uh, the you know, Jewish culture, Jewish aspect, which was a big thing in Latvia. I mean, I've recently been doing some research into the early years of the 20th century, and it was like about 6 to 10% of Riga's population was Jewish. And uh, the, we talk now about demographic changes and immigration and um, various groups coming in and out. And it seems that just, you know, obviously with the Second World War, that segment of society, which was a very rich culture, was completely wiped out. But in recent years, it seems there is some sort of rehabilitation in that now Jewish visitors who come to Riga, I mean, they would sometimes in the past have said to me, well, where should I go? And you would, would have said, well, you could kind of go here, but there's not much to see. You can kind of go there, but you'll have to find something out. But now there is sort of a circuit they can do that if three or four different really quite high profile things they can go to. And then you have things like the Rothko Museum in Daugav Pills, which is kind of mentioning the fact that he's Jewish rather than, just so, a brilliant, yeah. uh, rather than just a brilliant artist. Yeah. You know? So do you think that kind of the Jewish Latvia, as we might call it, is kind of making a bit of a comeback? You still can go to the Chocolate Museum and nobody will ever mention that how it started. And there were actually, you know, Jews at, are the sources of this chocolate, uh, you know, um, kingdom, basically. Mm. Um, sure, people do choose and avoid sometimes things, but... 
I think it's more kind of awareness. Maybe me, we feel kind of um, stronger that's not nationalism, like this, that we kind of, when we got independence, like we fought for independence in the 90s. So the only thing was like, so what is about Latvia and Latvians? And around, like people were obsessed that they finally can talk about that they're Latvians and mm. So maybe we've grown up enough to understand that Latvia was built, you know, by there are many nationalities here, and and it's not only loss of um, Jews but also loss of Germans who were, you yeah. know, who, they had to leave, you know, in 1939. So because um, they were like a quarter of the population. Of, yes, uh, of Riga. but that's also the culture, the influence of German culture and, and the Jewish culture, and the differences and Poles and mm. Russians, you know. But to an extent, I guess, the German culture is still there in the architecture, whereas with the Jews, the Jews even that was taken away, wasn't it? Yeah, the, because synagogues or many were burnt, and and uh, and only now you start like the you know the synagogues are renovated. Okay, they work in the museums more or less, but but it's uh, but it's uh, at least you see some part of Jewish life that mm. was there. I should say a word here for the the project to renovate the synagogues in Latgal, so in uh, Rezeknia and Ludza. Yeah, already, and they're very very impressive uh, projects which I was yeah. very pleased luckily, to have luckily no- Norwegians have also a lot of money to support you know because it's all, one part is this will and uh, wish but another part you do need a lot of uh, resources mm. and when you see them allocated you know then these choices are made you know either it's like some new project or it's renovating synagogues that uh, could show this other life that Latvia had and in Rezekne Rezitsa people you know there are a lot of Jews that came from there but I think the Jewish community here, they have, we have like two schools. It could be also they are traumatized by what happened after the war, because in comparison to Lithuania, for example, to Vilnius, uh, our community is more closed and more kind of focused on, on themselves. And I think the part of it is like this um, comments and anti-Semitic responses and the musical that was put up about the... About, um, Herbert Zuckers. About Zuckers, yeah. yeah. So it's it's all kinds of things. I don't think that they feel completely that they belong. And I think this um, this is a time of change because, you know, Westerman, this wasn't the most popular um, TV program yesterday. It took some work. And I think Rita Rudusha is the one who she has to take credit because it took a lot of uh, convincing to, you know, to actually see value that pe- for people it could be really interesting. And now what people write, he has such amazing Latvian language, none of us have it. You know, this Jewish man who's 91 years old, he has a, even his Latvian is, is just stunning, you know. Well, then I'm going to insist that you take a little bit of credit as well, Lolita. And it, <laughs> seemed that, it seemed that the very positive thing that came out of uh, the candle event last week was uh, a sort of acknowledgement that... Uh, these Jews were actually Latvians. You know, yeah. they were they were they were Latvian citizens. Uh, we've run out of time, I'm afraid, here in the pod. We've run out of coffee as well, so we better go and get some more. <laughs> Thank you very much to uh, everyone who listened to us, and we'll be back in a couple more weeks with another minutes from Latvia. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier, produced by Renar Steimans for Latvian Public Media. Find out more at www.lsm.lv.